and welcome to Pod Be With You, a podcast from the First Congregational Church of Dundee in lovely Dundee, Illinois. I'm Paige. I'm Aaron. And we are coming to you today with another Bible study. We are back to Paul um, <laughs> after all of those weeks in Romans. After a short dalliance with Matthew. <laughs> with Matthew. We're back to Paul. Um, but this time we're in his letter to the Church of Philippi, the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, which I think actually for a lot of people is pretty familiar. I think it might be. Yeah, this is one of those um, pieces out of the book of Philippians that gets read and celebrated with a fair amount of regularity, even within the lectionary. It pops up, uh, it pops up around Christmas sometimes, and um, also around Easter sometimes. And Mm -hmm. so we have it. This is on the greatest hits album. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, And I think there it'll be a fun passage. I said a couple weeks ago that I was getting tired of Paul, but as uh, Aaron reminded us, we always come crawling back. So. (laughs) (laughs) So, back to Paul, um, and I will read from the New Revised Standard Version, um, and here we go, Philippians 2, 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." For it is God who is at work in you, both enabling you both to do and to work for his good pleasure. There ends our reading, which Mm -hmm. is just phenomenal. So much goodness in there. My ears were ringing throughout the whole thing as you were reading all these allusions, all these familiar Mm -hmm. passages, as I said, all these greatest hits that we recognize when we sort of go, I know that phrase. I don't know. I didn't know that that's where it came from. Right. Uh, In particular, maybe we won't spend that much time on this later, but in particular, there's this whole middle section of that passage, right, that was incredibly rhythmic. The whole middle section of this passage is a hymn. It is likely understood to be a hymn. And not only was it a hymn then, but it's a hymn that a lot of contemporary Christian music is based on. Absolutely. If you hear this language... The name above all names, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend, every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord. I mean, these are almost quite literally the lyrics of some of the songs we've sung and many other folks have sung. Absolutely. As, a, as a, In addition to some of the great theological renderings that are in some of our great hymns, you know, this was likely an early hymn that Paul himself did not write, but which he invokes here to stir the spirit of this worshiping community. Um, 
the uh, the folks that know things, mm-hmm. um, which would do you be, know them? Yeah, I, I do not know them personally. <laughs> um, but the folks who know things, the scholars who who work on this sort of thing, um, believe that probably Philippians was written between sixty one and sixty three A.D., mm-hmm. which is pretty early. That's before a number of our gospels and and that sort of thing. Which means that if Paul is quoting a hymn that was already in existence, this hymn was probably written just decade or so after the life of Christ, which is really ancient. Um, and we bump up against it here in this really interesting passage. Um, you also mentioned that it, uh, it has a pretty high Christology for being so for being so early in the history of the Gospels and, and the writing of the letters. Yeah, it's, often we think of, right, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. often we think of Christology as sort of ascending <laughs> over the course of the first century, right? Uh, and it's a little bit reductive, but it also kind of works, where in some of the earliest writings you have, at least in the earliest Gospels, Gospel of Mark, you have the earthiest Jesus. He is the most human. He's the most frustrated. He's the, he's often the most irritable. He's salty. He is a little salty, crusty Jesus in Mark. And by the Gospel of John, written at the end of the first century, you have Jesus whose feet never really seem to touch the ground, right? right? Who never, who is... And the Gospel of John begins with that extraordinary prologue in which Jesus says the word, or Jesus is the embodied word of God, there from the beginning, co-creating all of the cosmos with God. This seems to have some of that, as you said, very high Christology, this idea that Jesus is equal with God and came down from a, a being and life and existence with God to become human and even within humanity to take the most humble, obedient life, even unto death, and then to be raised back to co-creative existence with God. It is a remarkable theology to be present, as you said, maybe only 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. Yeah, it's really, it's remarkable. Um, and it, it is it is a it is a remarkable hymn and and um, we can talk more about it if we want to but um, it does have a central place not just here in this particular passage but it seems to be in the book of Philippians itself uh, because it is sort of centrally located and Paul is using it as an axis around which everything else turns and mm. which he is trying to encourage people to really live in this Christ-like manner and the manner in which he is speaking is this sort of humility and um, this self-emptying, which is the language that we've talked about uh, that we get in here. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. For sure. So, well, let's come back to that because right. I do think that's the place Paul starts and we'll start. And I think you're right. That's a central hinge moment, not just in this passage, but in the entire letter. Right. But that's not the conceit for writing the letter necessarily right. in the first place, right? What you have is Paul writing from prison, likely writing from prison in his own place of fear or helplessness, certainly of separation. And I hear this this pang of separation, this almost pained urgency for them to just please be good. Do yeah. what you're supposed to do. Do what I taught you. This was a church that he had founded mm-hmm. or at least helped found. And so he keeps invoking, I know who you are. You know who I am. I know what you can be. Please do that. It appears as though the, the, the 
prompting for his writing was there were a couple of church members that were at odds with one another in a way that seemed to indicate that the community as a whole might be at odds with Mm -hmm. one another. And so he's writing with this call for unity and that unity has to begin with individual humility and to take on the self-emptying character of God, which, as he said, he he knows it's in them Mm -hmm. and he wants them to live into that. And to do that, he begins with with this wonderful Pauline exhortation, right? If there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, he's just a great rhetorician because they say, of course there is. Right. Of course there is encouragement, consolation, sharing in the spirit, compassion, sympathy. And he says, if these things are true, then make my joy complete. You know, make me whole. If you want to honor me or if you want to do something for me let it be this be of the same mind have the same love being in full accord a full accord in one mind basically be who christ taught you to be yeah yeah be one uh, and again this is very much uh, along the themes that we were reading in the book of romans this is very pauline um mm-hmm. And uh, for him, that unity is so very important. Mm -hmm. It is at the center. He talks regularly in his letters about how we are, in fact, one in the body of Christ. And he is just simply encouraging them to live like it because because that's what they already are. Mm -hmm. It's a reality that is, in fact, the case. And... um, And he just is encouraging them to live like it. And relate. Oh, go go ahead. ahead. You are one body, right? You are family already. Live like it. Exactly. Live into it. Yeah. And he in, he encourages them then to do this through this sort of humility, hmm. um, to not think of yourself as better than anybody else, to not have selfish ambition or conceit, um, and to think of others as better than your own interests and of your own self, hmm. um, which is. Which is a tricky proposition. It's an interesting challenge. It isn't is because it? it's not everybody's. No, it's it? not everybody. There are, are plenty of people, and I think, I think we see this a lot in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of people who have, um, as part of just the way they are in the world, have a pretty low opinion of themselves, yeah. um, and I don't think that that's necessarily what Paul would want, and no. I certainly don't think that's what Jesus would want. Um, uh, Paul has this great understanding that we are also made in the divine image. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not something that should ever be denigrated or looked down upon. So at the same time as he has this understanding that we're supposed to be full of humility and think of others as better than ourselves, he's also got a fairly high understanding of who we are, a little lower than the angels, mm-hmm. uh, as he says in other places, that that we are in fact... Um, uh, of the divine stuff. And that should be something that um, we maintain and also take great pride and joy in. Um, I read a great article uh, by Janet Hunt, I believe it was, who um, 
talked about Jesus as the great leveler. Yes. Um, and um, at the same time that Jesus is, is, is asking people to be full of humility and to be humble and is bringing down the high and mighty, Jesus is also raising up the lowly at the exact same time and, 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 and telling them, you are loved by God, you are a beloved child of God. And so there's this, there's this balance that we see um, that we need to strike. And I think Paul is implying it even if he doesn't come right out and say it in this passage. Well, it's it, it's reminiscent of that old prophetic uh, vision of every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill made low. There is, if we are coming together, we are not going to live by way of hierarchy and dominance right. and exploitative or oppressive power over one another. That's not how God is. And that's not how we are going to be. Now, we've got a long way before we can fully live into that in the world and even in the church. A lot of those power dynamics remain. But as a basic spiritual orientation, I do think he is calling for that kind of radical equality, which allows for the kind of loving relationship. So, for instance, he has, and then right after this, about looking for others' interests and not just your own interests, um, there are actually... What I think is pretty interesting, a commentator pointed out, there are two different and significantly different translations of the next line. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Can also be translated, let the same mind be in you that you have in Christ Jesus. Which is a way of saying, as this commentator put it, the first reading suggests this ethic of imitation. Do what Christ did, you know, be like Jesus. And the second suggests this ethic of participation, which is sort of a be who you are. So some of it, and it's of course both true, it's both be like Christ and also be who you are. I think that's, uh, and to me that relates to, and I can see why he then launches into this hymn, which extrapolates on that point. So let's get back to that for a moment. Yeah. One of the most remarkable lines is the first two verses. It is about, as you mentioned earlier, the self-giving, self-emptying love of God. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, right? And I read something this week that changed how I heard it and opened it up and meant a lot to me. And if I can paraphrase this well, let's try. (laughs) I think the point that Paul is making here is not, as I had often heard it, isn't it amazing that Jesus, who was so powerful, gave up that power, right? Even though he had it. Wasn't it amazing that he, even though he he was, was God and could have used that power and exploited that power on earth, didn't do that? What remarkable humility. I mean, there's probably something to that. But even more so, I think what Paul is saying is that Jesus did not exploit the power that he had because he was God and that, and because that is the nature of God, because self-emptying humility is the character of God. Not that God is powerful and could have used all these things um, and that he chose to not do it, he chose to not do it because he was God, and that's not how God is. Is, exactly. Right, the redemptive history of God with us 
is about a a self-giving God of love. Mm -hmm. The giving of creation to human beings, the giving of the covenant, the giving of the law, the giving of freedom, the giving of the promised land, the giving of the prophets and the giving of Jesus and all of these things, right? This is the, the giving of the spirit. This is not a God who has this power and lords it over creation but is constantly giving of God's self for the flourishing of creation and the faithful. I think that, I think that that's really an important distinction um, and definitely something to, uh, again, that is, is central to the whole letter to the book of Philippians. Um, so this is the nature of God. This was the nature of Christ. If you're going to be one in Christ, if this is going to be Christ living in you, then it looks like this. Yeah. Which is a pretty cosmically oriented way to talk about church conflict, right? <laughs> like that's that's really going deep on, but importantly deep on why would we need to be unified and gracious and humble? It's because that is the nature of God that we are trying to, that is trying to be lived into reality through us. Yeah, I, I think that that I think that that's true. I, I it also rings. Uh, really um, authentically in my ears, given um, some of the some of the research that I did and the understanding that the um, the the community of Philippi, the city, mm-hmm. um, was a place that was really um, gung ho Rome. Mm. Um, Caesarea there, Philippi, yeah, so right? yeah, Caesarea Philippi. There were a lot of retired soldiers there, a lot of politicians. Um, it was very much uh, the land of the emperor, and um, and this self-emptying love, this self-emptying power, mm. um, is stands in stark contrast to the sort of lording it over you power. Of to the, the power of domination. You have domination, yeah. And I think that that is, I think that that is really one of the points that Paul is trying to make and and hold up as a contrast um, to the people in Philippi to be able to say, this is one an- another way that you can differentiate yourself from the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And to me, that relates also then to this vision at the end of the hymn, right? This. I told you this earlier, but this is the language that has always made me a little bit wiggly. I'm not, and that is, God gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is something about that that has always made me a little bit wiggly, in right. part because it, it sounds like that domination type worship. Triumphalism. Absolutely. You will all one day bow to my authority. Which sounds really jarring after this expression of radical self-emptying love. Mm -hmm. Uh, Radical self-emptying love that also requires world domination (laughs) and every tongue confessing and every knee bowing and absolute obedience. Here's how I work that out. If we also hear, as scripture says elsewhere, that God is love, puts it that simply, God is love, then to me the vision of every tongue confessing the supremacy of love and every knee bowing in submission to the power of love sounds like a much more hopeful vision. This idea that someday the whole world will together surrender to, submit to, offer themselves to, and worship the power of love 
embodied for us as Christians in the person of Jesus as the nature of God and the movement of the Spirit, to me that's that's a much more hopeful vision than the way that it's I've heard it often construed in the Christian imagination, which is someday we'll win. Yeah. Someday everyone will realize that we were right and they were wrong, and someday we'll have control over it all. Or even not if we will, but our God will have control over it all. That that gets to a place that is that can get pretty dangerous pretty quick. Absolutely. Um, my God is bigger than your God. My um, dad can beat up your dad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no more than that kind of playground taunt. Um, and that can be very dangerous, especially living in the world that we're living in right now, uh, where we are part of an ecumenical um, culture, a very diverse understanding of, of, of faith and religion and, and the, the way that God is manifest in the world, um, it, that can become, that could become something that is, that is dangerous indeed. And has, yeah, let's be it, honest. Yeah, it, it has. has. For thousands of years, it has. Um, and not exclusive uh, to Christians, no. but not excluding Christians nope. either. Therefore, my beloved, he says, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence. I feel like he's he read the book, The Secret, and he's just trying to like speak this. He's just trying to speak this into existence. Like it's one of those things that if you just say it enough, maybe it'll, it'll be, be true. true. Yeah. yeah. I want me thinks Paul doth protest too much a bit in this place, uh, just because if they were really obeying him that much more so in his absence, he probably wouldn't have had to write the letter to begin. Yeah, exactly. But, therefore. For my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, famous Soren Kierkegaard. Yes, absolutely. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. What a great way to end this particular piece of the passage, because it 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 has this very. Uh, hopeful, forward-looking understanding. I mean, Paul, here Paul is. He's in prison, mm. right? And he's possibly facing execution, and mm-hmm. he knows that. And yet he has this understanding that God's will and work is continuing to be done in the world through God's people. Mm. And um, and again, this very this very high understanding of who we are, that we are, in fact, the... The, the vessels in which God is 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 working through the world in a really powerful sort of way. It's uh it's beautiful language. Paul has a way of matching his exhortation with encouragement. Absolutely. Right. And so he knows how to challenge and he knows how to comfort. But not cheap comfort, I wouldn't say as no. in, but don't really worry about it because it'll all be fine. There's a lot at stake, and there is a painful urgency to some of this about how important it is to be who you are. But at the end, there is this sort of like almost the coach speak or the parent speak, and the, the, when you're launching somebody and you say, "I can't control this anymore," but it's it's like the coach would say, "Go play like you know how to play," yeah. or you're you're sending a child off just. Go be who you are and do what you do. And I know you got this because I know it's in you. And and they're right. Does it mean everything will go perfectly? Of course not. But that's the last 
if that's the last word, that's a good last word. It really not is. Not just, what the heck are you doing? You're better than this. <laughs> which, which is not exactly what he's saying in the beginning, but there's a part of that. But ends with this, because I know you can be and I know what's in you. And you are, as much as I'm exhorting you to be humble and to not think more highly of yourselves as you than you ought, to borrow a phrase from Romans a couple of weeks ago, at the same time, you are, as you said, the instruments of God. Yeah. God is working through you, and it matters. It does. It's beautiful language. Well, you're preaching on this week. Yeah. And <laughs> on I, this this week. I think it'll be really fun. Uh, I think there's a lot here um, that... Um, that can celebrate the church, celebrate the mm-hmm. best in the church, uh, in the way church is really supposed to be in function and, and what that community is supposed to look like. And I think that that is a really wonderful thing to be able, uh, be able to celebrate uh, in, in this particular passage. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Certainly a lot of messages for what we're living right now. Absolutely. Well, join us on Sunday, uh, live on Facebook or with our limited registration in person. Uh, congregation. Find everything on FCCDundee.com, links to all of it, ways to sign up, our mission work and past services, everything else. Uh, We are FCC of Dundee on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Please like and rate and share and subscribe and do all those podcast things that we do uh, to help us spread the word of this. Thank you for spending this time with us until we see you again. We encourage you to find ways to get together, get inspired, and get to work. Have a blessed day. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.